0: 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity of knowledge, patience kindness the holy spirit uh, by uh, the holy spirit genuine love by truthful speak in the speech in the power of god with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left through honor and dishonor through slander and praise we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well known as dying and behold we live as punished And yet not killed As sorrowful yet always rejoicing As poor yet making many rich As having nothing yet possessing everything We have spoken freely to you Corinthians Our heart is wide open You are not restricted by us But you are restricted in your own affections In return, I speak as to a child, widen your hearts also. I was recently reading about a pretty sneaky tactic a pastor used to to gather a crowd to hear him preach in the 1920s. He was a pastor in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, Fort Worth had a baseball team, and they were to play the, the championship game In at home against their arch rival, their most hated nemesis, the city just to their east, Dallas, Texas. And you can imagine, we all understand what it is to to play a a game and to be um, sort of caught up in the um, enthusiasm and the passions, particularly when that game is against a rival that we love to hate. And so Fort Worth played that game at home, and even while passions were high and hearts, Uh, were intense. They left the game brokenhearted because on that particular day, Dallas beat Fort Worth. As the fans exited the stadium and made their way home through the downtown streets of Fort Worth, they they encountered a large banner that had been hung over the street. And the banner read this, Why Dallas Beat Fort Worth in Baseball? hear about it Sunday night at 7 p.m. The historical accounts say that that Sunday night at that particular church, the the building was in overflow capacity, standing room only. Many people came out of curiosity to want to hear why it was that um, Fort Worth had lost to Dallas, Texas. Maybe they thought the pastor had a spiritual reason. Maybe they thought he had a prophetic word to share. They didn't know, but they were there for the show. Uh, the pastor, when he when he came to the po- uh, pul- uh, when he approached the pulpit, he he opened with these words. These were the first words he spoke to the gathered crowd. He said, "Dallas beat Fort Worth because they were better prepared for the game." And then he went about preaching a gospel message. Now, when I read that account, I wondered, did the crowd feel like they had been tricked in coming, into coming to church? I, I, I felt a little manipulative, uh, just being manipulative, at, at, just at reading the account. Now, whether or not they, they felt manipulated or not, I, I don't know. I do know that accounts say that, that many made professions of faith that night. I, I guess every pastor, when they approach a passage like this, struggles with the correct balance. There is much that could be made, and I think rightly so, about the intensity of this passage, the urgency of this passage, and and understanding that your eternity is at at stake. I, I get completely the temptation to give in to manipulative tricks to draw people to Jesus. Oftentimes those are excused by saying, well, at least I'm getting people into heaven. Now, I appreciate that. My personality, just my nature Won't let me go too deep into that hole My my hope today is not To trick you, hear me very carefully I do not want to trick you into Salvation But I do want to plead for Your salvation I do believe this passage is very Clear that now is the day Of opportunity, now is the day of salvation And some of you Some of you are going to Squander that opportunity So Here's the passage this morning. This is how I'm going to break it apart. Number one, recognize the opportunity is now. Secondly, receive the witness that God has given to you. And lastly, remove any restrictions that you have put on receiving the gift of salvation from Jesus. Beginning in the first two verses, Paul writes these words. He says, working together with him, then we appeal to you. Now, in in chapter 5, he used the phrase beg. We beg of you, plead with you to receive the gospel. So here again, he says, "We, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't hear it and then hear it in vain and not receive what God has given to you. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in, the, in a day of salvation, I have helped you. And then Paul says, behold, brothers and sisters, friends, this moment, this moment, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Friends, here's the, here's the thing, the point he's trying to make to you. God has provided for you right now, the opportunity for salvation. In the previous chapter, Paul said that as an ambassador for Christ, that he begged or implored the lost to be reconciled to God. Continuing his appeal, he makes the case in verses 1 and 2 of of chapter 6 that now is the time for salvation. Now, I've already said I struggle with these two conflicting desires. On, On one hand... I want to. I do not want to manipulate you into making a false decision. It's not my personality to employ manipulative emotional devices to get you to respond to the gospel. I, I just, I just can't bring myself to do that. And, and I believe. Listen to me, theologically, doctrinally, I believe. That salvation comes through the calling and the drawing of God. The truly converted are truly converted, and the emotionally stirred sometimes just have an emotional moment but are not truly converted. I do not but I do want to warn you of the impending wrath of God and the horrors of hell and the present opportunity for salvation. So even as I continue on this morning, I, I'm holding those two things in tension. I don't want to trick you with emotional tricks, and yet, friends, I don't want to back up at all that if you don't know Jesus today, if you've not received the gift of salvation today, all of the horrors of hell are on your shoulders. The wrath of God is on you today, and I'm pleading with you. Now is the day of salvation. In verse 2, Paul quotes Isaiah 49:8, and that passage says, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to portion the desolate heritages. What Paul is saying is, brothers and sisters, friends, God has provided for you this moment, this opportunity to be saved. He's provided for you an opportunity, the grace right now, to hear the gospel preached. He's provided for you the opportunity, the grace, to be patient to res- that you might respond. Do you understand God have, could have come in judgment yesterday, but out of his grace he has withheld his judgment that you might have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond? God has provided for you this opportunity, the grace, to have an abundant access to the biblical truth of the gospel. Brothers, don't, friends, don't, listen, don't miss the opportunity. You're here today. You're here today hearing the gospel preached. That is an act of God's grace in your life. No one who is hearing me preach today can say that they have not had overwhelming opportunities to hear the gospel and to respond to the gospel. Friends, now is the day of salvation. So Paul says, the opportunity is now. In the second half of verse 2, Paul says, Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. From the moment that God confronted the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, he spoke of a day when sin would be defeated. Through the law, God taught that, the sac- that a sacrifice was needed, that blood atones for sin, and that the life of a lamb was to be, to be given for the redemption of the people. Through the writings and the prophet, God decla- the prophets, God declared there was coming a Messiah who would rescue and redeem His people. Through the Virgin Mary, God dwelt with us in the flesh, living without sin, dying for our sin, buried and raised again by the power of God. So Paul says, "Now is the time." We wait no longer, the Messiah has come. Now is the time. We wait no longer for the for the Lamb of God has given his life for the redemption of our sins. Now is the time. We wait no longer for the promise of God to come for Jesus, the Messiah, God with us, has come that we might live. My question this morning to you is, what in the world are you waiting on? We tend to put off decisions because we, we believe that you'll have another, we'll have another opportunity, or we believe that there's no real urgency in the moment. A new phenomenon, I, I guess it's new, it's at least newly identified, is this, this worry that there may be something better. In 2004, a term was introduced to describe the phenomenon that, 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 that many who spend a lot of time on social media experience. It's called FOMO. Are you familiar with this term, F-O-M-O, FOMO? Fear of missing out, and 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 it, it can be it can be um, can be debilitating as you're essentially you're seeing others on social media apparently always having great vacations and always having amazing experiences, and you're sitting there at your home eating cheez its and wondering am I missing out on a better experience than what somebody else is having, and and it can be crippling trying to chase after that experience and even while you're having an amazing experience you're wondering is somebody having something. Better than me. It, 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 so oftentimes those who are struggling with that won't accept an invitation because they're afraid, oh, well, if I do this, I might miss out on something better. The same author that, that coined the term FOMO has now coined a new phrase, FOBO, fear of a better opportunity. And so you, you say no to what is giving to you today for fear that if you say yes, that there would be something better later to come. Friends, listen to me. To put off Jesus is not like waiting for a better party invitation. To put off Jesus is to rebelliously reject the only hope and salvation from the wrath of God and eternal damnation. You justify your rebellion against the grace of God with excuses like I'm not ready. I need to know more about it. Uh, I just need a little bit more time. I'm afraid of what others might say, what it'll cost or what I'll have to give up. But dear friends, the promise is for you today, and the opportunity is now to receive the forgiveness of your sins. The opportunity is now, but here's the other part of that, the opportunity will not last. The positive declaration of verse two is that now is the day of salvation, but the equally true negative declaration is that the opportunity will not last. Now, I've already said, that I have no desire to extract false conversions from uh, 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 emotional trickery. However, listen to me carefully. I am terribly aware that on the day of Christ's return, that there will be many who will have often heard the gospel preached and taught and proclaimed, but had refused to believe, and on the day when Christ returns, they will cry out with bitter Bitter tears. They'll cry and say, Give me just one more opportunity. I was just about to believe. And they'll, they'll, they'll cry out and say, Give me just five more minutes. I, I was going to believe in the next moment. There'll be all sorts of other pleas. For another sermon, for another, an, another verse of the, of the invitation hymn, another invitation from a friend, a, a, another prompting of the Holy Spirit, another opportunity. And I know this will be true in that moment. I know that the opportunity for belief is now, and I know that in the moment of Christ returns, that opportunity will be no more. On the day of Christ's return, the opportunity for grace will have expired, and the moment of God's judgment will have come. On that day, there will be many who will be condemned in their sin, but there will be none who have not had an abundant opportunity to receive the salvation of God. I mean, I'm just, listen, my perspective on Sunday morning as I preach is I look at your beautiful faces looking back at me. And I'm just deeply aware that some of you are going to be in that group. You've heard the gospel preached more than you more times than you can count. Your excuses are impressive, but you are squandering the opportunity to believe. And I'm just telling you, friends, the weight's too heavy, the consequence is too great. Now is the day of salvation. And there's two other things I want you to see in this passage and with the time that we have left. I think Paul is saying receive in verses 3 through 11. It gets a little confusing as he lays out all these things, but his point he's trying to make is, listen, receive the witness that God has provided for you. And and, and there's at least three things here, just the the witness that God has given. The first is the sacrifice for the saints. So in uh, in, in the first 11 verses, um, Paul uh, makes this, um, uh, clear in his preaching, and his ministry of the gospel, has, that he's put absolutely no obstacles to anyone receiving the gospel. Now, now, an obstacle would be something of a requirement or a barrier of, of someone, uh, that, that a barrier for someone to receive the gospel that's not been given by God, but that man has imposed. I mean, the list could be Could not be exhausted, but just some some thoughts here. So Paul says, i have not charged you anything. It's not cost you anything. I've not put the gospel behind a paywall. But you've clicked on the link to hope to find what the the testimony of the gospel is, and and then you find out, oh, you got to pay a subscription fee to hear it. No, it's been freely preached to you. He's not required that those who hear the gospel respond to a threat, that those who respond to the gospel have to, have to treat those who preach it with some kind of honor. In fact, he says, listen, I've been mistreated, I've been beaten, I've, I've had sleepless nights. You've treated me horribly, and yet I freely preach the gospel to you that there be no uh, uh, a barrier to you at all. The way of the world is to limit access to good things through obstacles of man. So we put economic limitations, we put social limitations, we put legal limitations on the good things of the world so that some can have and some cannot have. But friends, because the gospel of salvation is received through grace, it is therefore preached graciously and freely. So in verse 4 and 5, Paul preached by great endurance. He says, in afflictions and hardships and calamities, that he's endured beatings and imprisonments and riots, that he's uh, he's endured labors and sleepless nights and hunger. Of course, what would compel Paul to suffer so great for the preaching of the gospel? What, What compels the church today to sacrifice and give abundantly for the preaching of the gospel? Being convicted that the only hope of salvation is in Jesus. That's what compelled Paul. That's what compels the church. How could we withhold anything? We understand that we've been saved by grace, and so graciously we preach the gospel that the lost might be saved. Being humbled by that my own sin has been forgiven through the cross of Jesus, how could I require of another what God did not require of me? Dear friends, receive the witness of the church and the countless saints who have sacrificed so much that you might hear the good news of Jesus, the cross and the hope of salvation. The sacrifice of the church, the sacrifice of the saints is for your salvation. That's why so much has been given that you might believe. Receive the witness of the sacrifice of the saints. Also receive the witness of the power of God. So in verses 6 and 7, Paul references what's the, the engine, what's the power behind his preaching. He declares that he has preached the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit's genuine love by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, with the weapons of righteousness, and he says left hand and right hand. In other words, he's got weapons of both defensive and offensive work. But notice right in the middle of these two verses, he points to the power by which he has preached. He says, by truthful speech and the power of God. The powers of this world are great. The reality is the powers of this world have ensnared many of you, Have enslaved many of you And how can the weakness Of the gospel preaching compete with the power Production and influence of our world The competition for the hearts of men and women Is not a fair fight Because those who preach the gospel Do so in the power of the living God Here's what I know you may be ensnared and enslaved by the world today, but if God, by His mighty power, begins to draw you unto salvation, there's nothing the world has that can keep you from coming. Dear friends, do not lose do not do not do not lose sight of how the power of God has been working in your life to draw you to Himself, to provide for you a testimony of the truth, and to bring you to this very moment where you have the opportunity to hear and to receive the gospel. Receive the witness to the sacrifice of the saints, the power of God, and receive the witness that has been given freely to you. Paul says in verse 11, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. We all have a, a natural desire. You've probably said this and done this sometime in your life. We have a natural desire that when, when, we, when service has been rendered to us, we want to know what it costs us. So what do I owe you for, for doing something kind to me? You're on the side of the road with a flat tire. Somebody stops and helps you out. They change your tire. They, uh, they assist you in some way. The, the natural thing, the, I think the right thing to do is to say to that person, to ask that person, what do I owe you for your service to me? But before the question can be asked, Paul gives the answer. He says, we've spoken freely. We started this process, this work, and we finished this work with the intention of giving this word to you Freely. The gospel is free to you, but it was not free. Jesus gave himself to the, for the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel is freely preached, but it is not free. Paul had given great sacrifice personally to preach the gospel. Friends, this church labors and gives sacrificially that we might preach the gospel freely. The cost of salvation is so great that the only way for you to receive it is through the gift of grace. Friends, the opportunity is now to receive the gift of God's amazing grace, receive the witness, the sacrifice of the saints, the, the power of God, and the gift that was given freely. In the last verse, or the last two verses, Paul turns his attention to the Corinthians. And I want you to listen carefully because he diagnoses what is keeping them from believing. Look back in your copies of scripture with me. Verse 12, he says, you're not restricted by us. We've preached freely, we've given freely. Our hearts are wide open to you. So you're not restricted by us. But you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak to you as to children, widen your hearts also. Friends, my appeal to you this morning is to remove any restriction that you have placed in your life to receiving the gospel. Now, two things here I think Paul points out. Number one, he says that you need to surrender your affections. What does he mean by that? In these two verses, Paul identifies what is actually restricting the Corinthians from receiving the gospel. It's not Paul, he says he's freely preached without obstacle. What is restricting the Corinthians, he says, is their own affections. Now, depending on what translation you're reading out of this morning, most of them translate the word that is used there as affection. So if you're in the ESV or the New American Standard or the NIV, that's, that's what how it translates it. Now, if you've got a King James Bible in front of you this morning, you might be surprised. It's got a very different word. It actually, the King, King James uses the phrase "bowels." As you're restricted in the bowels, and the reason why it does that is because what's being translated here is an idiom. So, a, a word that, um, that 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 it, uh, it, it, it communicates something not not literally. So, um, the word literally means that you're bound up or restricted in your gut. And, and so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you're, that you've got gastrointestinal issues. What it means is probably the best translation there is that your love, your desires, your, your, your affections are given to something else. You're restricted by what you love. What is restricting the Corinthians is their own affections. Their own affections are restricting them what they love, what they fear, what they desire. And I would just ask you, friends, what is holding you back from Jesus today? Is it not your own affections? What do you fear? What of the world do you love? What temporary pursuits are you chasing after? What worthless pride are you holding on to? What is it in your life that at this moment you love more than the gospel of Jesus? What is it in your life that you're holding on to with more tenacity than you're receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus has provided for you? I know this. Listen to me carefully. I absolutely know this. Whatever keeps you from Jesus today is not worth it. Whatever is keeping you from salvation today is not it. The Bible tells us that everything this side of heaven is going to be burned up. Whatever worldly thing that you love, whatever prideful thing you're holding on to, whatever it is that is keeping you from the gospel today, It is going to be destroyed on the judgment of God. Burned up as worthless chaff. And that's why I say, I don't know a lot, but I know this. Whatever you're holding on to that's keeping you from Jesus today is not worth it. Let loose of those worldly affections and take hold of Jesus. The hymn writer was right when she penned these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands. One other thing, and that is Paul just gives an appeal. He says it's your affections that are restricting you, and he says, I speak to you as children. Widen your hearts. We might phrase it this way. Open your heart to Jesus. In verse 13, Paul says that he is speaking as to children. Now, he's not being derogatory in this moment. He means that he's speaking plainly and simply. Because of the importance of the gospel and the eternal danger and peril that the lost are in, he wants to speak plainly so that he will be understood without confusion. I say to you equally, dear friends, open your heart to Jesus. Receive the truth of the gospel. Receive the gift of salvation. Believe in faith that Jesus died for your sin and rose again from the dead. Confess Jesus as your Lord and be saved today. God has opened his heart to you. Will you open your heart to God? During high school, I had a great opportunity to travel through Europe with a small group from my church, doing some ministry and work with European Baptists. And as we prepared for our trip, we tried to do the very best we could to pack and and make good decisions as far as what we brought and didn't bring, but I don't think any of us, of the six or seven of us that went, had ever traveled internationally, and so we really did not, we're not well prepared for what we needed. One of the most glaring issues about, what we, about our poor planning and what we brought on the trip uh, was, um, was exposed by um, what we brought on the trip. Now, it's not this way anymore, but it used to be that when you traveled, air travel and, and others, that you could just about bring as much luggage as you wanted. So, young folks, your grandparents, when they bought luggage, the the big piece of their luggage was massive. Y'all remember those big pieces of luggage that nobody uses anymore? You'd fill that thing up, and then you had two or three other bags that you would bring. You literally could bring the kitchen sink if you wanted to. It was that big. And we'd lug those up to the the airport or, or, or whatever mode of transportation you were using. And the reason why we were able to use and bring so much was because there were porters and bellmen that would take that luggage for you and put it on the plane and, and carry it to your destination and help you get it in the car. So, so really, you had someone to help you move all of that stuff and all of your travels until you got to your hotel room, until you got back home. Well, this was in the, in the early 90s, and so we were still packing like we used to pack. And so some of us on our trip brought those big bags. And 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 a couple of additional bags as well. Now, that would have been fine if we were only traveling by air. But when we got in country, most of our travels were um, rail. And it uh, wasn't—the way the the train worked is it would pull into the station uh, in which we were boarding the train. It would wait a few minutes for passengers to step on, and then it would leave. If you were on the train, you got to ride it. If you were not on the train, it would leave you. If your bags were on the train and you were not, your bags would ride and you would be left or or vice versa. Well, those of us who had packed lighter were able to throw our bags on and get on the train without much uh, difficulty. But there was one person in particular who had excessively packed. She had big bags, heavy bags. And it became a real issue because the train would come to the station and she wasn't physically able. There was no bellman. There, no, uh, there was no porter to help her, so she physically was struggling just moving her own bags, but in the time crunch of the opportunity of the train coming and leaving, she could not get her bags on the train, all of them together and herself in time for the train to leave. And so every time the train would come, it was a, it was a mad dash to get our own luggage on the train and then go back and try to get her on the train so that she did not leave or leave her things. One of the oldest, most well-used illustrations for an opportunity is the old illustration of a train. It comes to the station, you have an opportunity to get on, to take you to the destination for which it is going. But if you don't get on the train, you miss it. You miss the opportunity. Friends, I think a lot of you are like my friend that traveled with me through Europe. You got a lot of bags and you've invested a lot of weight and importance in those bags. And the train is in the station. The opportunity for you to get on and ride is right now, but you're so worried, you're so concerned, you're so invested in your bags, trying to load them and lug them that you're going to miss the train. It's going to pull away because you have squandered the opportunity because you're so invested in things that don't really matter. Friends, leave the bags on the dock. You get on the train. Let loose of the things of this world. Take hold of the gospel opportunity of Jesus. Paul preached to the Corinthians. I preach to you today. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening. And until the Lord returns, let us live each moment, all for the King and all for the Kingdom.